that moment there to be able to talk to them and share my heart with them. But something that God pressed upon my heart, burned within my soul this morning and just kind of had it in the crock pot all day, letting it marinate, uh, letting it cook there slowly but surely. And uh, the Holy Spirit of God has given me liberty to preach tonight this truth and this message. And if truth be told, uh, the reason we were a little late tonight uh, is so that way I could finish writing this message. Um, and so nothing like the last moment, right? And so it's coming fresh out of the oven, fresh out of the oven for this evening. And as an evangelist, I just mind the Holy Spirit, just preach whatever God would have me to preach, wherever, whenever. Um, and uh, I don't even know if I'll ever preach this message again. Maybe I'll preach it a thousand times. I don't know. It's up to the Lord. I just want to be completely surrendered and submissive and hypersensitive to his leadership. And tonight, in light of everything that's going on around us in the world, uh, God has impressed upon my heart to preach this message entitled, His Coming Return. The Lord is coming back. How convinced are we of this? How real is it to us? Because in all reality, actions always speak louder than words. And my dad, with his thick Brooklyn accent, he's in heaven now, been in heaven for four plus years, he used to say this, Son, your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. God, yes, gives a people of belief, but God gives people of boldness who are going to live out what they believe and live in the light of eternity, as we'll see uh, referenced here. Let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter number 24. If you're there, would you say amen? I presume not a long message. Of course, whenever you say that, then it's five hours later, all right? Verse number, 20, uh, verse number 42, Matthew 24, verse number 42. Matthew 24, verse number 42. The Bible says, watch therefore. Watch, watch therefore. Be sober, be vigilant. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house hath known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. I believe this here is helping us understand what's also referenced in 1 Thessalonians, if I'm not mistaken, chapter number 5, chapter number 4, chapter number 5, talking about the Lord coming as a thief in the night, that parallel, you don't know when he's going to come back. But we should always be prepared for his return. Be ready. Be ready. Verse number 44. Therefore, be ye also ready. For in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, when he cometh, he's coming. He's coming. It's not a question of if. It's just a matter of when. When he cometh shall find so doing. Father, we need you tonight. That's why we're gathered together. Lord, we're not here to check something off a list. Oh, God, forgive us if that's the case. Lord, help us to sit at thy feet hungry tonight. Hungry, desiring, spiritually anticipating on the edge of our seat truth, manna from heaven. We need you, and I pray that you'll fill up our cup tonight. Let it overflow. I pray that this would be the beginning of something as we prepare now into this season of revival as a church. We've got tomorrow night and Friday night as we all journey over to the church plant, and I pray that you'd make provision and make opportunity for your people to join us there as we seek your face, a continuation of this evening. But Lord, also the season that's coming up with Dr. Coral, I pray that you'll bless that. And in a way that these... Uh, meetings, this service tonight, that this would be a precursor, this would be a prologue, this would set the table for us as you desire to do a great work in our church. 
We believe that, Lord. Forgive us for just simply maintaining. Watching is different from waiting. God, help us to be a watching church, not a waiting church. Busy to the final moment, to the last breath, the second prior to the trumpet sounding. Lord Jesus Christ, I pray now that you would be magnified. Please be exalted, have preeminence in all things. Holy Spirit of God, we ask that you would have great liberty. We humbly ask for a fresh anointing of thy power. Please, rend heavens tonight. Challenge us. Give us that swift kick in the britches, Lord, if we need it. And I pray that you would exhort us, but also encourage us. Build us up tonight to stay faithful in this dark day. And we love you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Of course, as you read Matthew chapter number 24, and I, I, I'm just struggling a little bit here. If you could give me more volume and let me control it this way, uh, whether to come closer or back off. I'm, I'm so sorry to call that out, but thank you. And they can't stop grinning back there from ear to ear. They were just waiting to be recognized back there. All right. Give, it, give a round of applause to the sound booth. We know you exist. All right. Okay. Uh, I'm just joking. Matthew chapter number 24, as you read this text, it's a parenthesis in the midst of all the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, a lot of confusion has come from this text, people not understanding, weighing Scripture with Scripture, and line upon line, precept upon precept. But, you know, God never contradicts himself, and you can understand eschatology or the doctrine of things to come very clearly as you study the entirety of the Word of God. And what's fascinating, as you read verse number 1, which we're not going to do tonight, uh, but just skim through this and, and, and just journey through this very quickly, machine gun style, um, it, verse number 1 down to even verse number, oh, I'd say verse number uh, 30, 38 or so, uh, there are some principles and some truths that the Lord is trying to help us understand and perceive as we look into the future of what's going to be prevalent at the dawn of Christ's return. I believe that we can see these things even uh, trembling in that sense. The tremors of this all around us in the world today, even in the past handful of years. You see in verse number 4 and verse number 5, even down in verse number 11, that it's going to be a time of apostasy. Well, isn't that the truth? There's all sorts of counterfeit Bibles and false religions and fake churches and all sorts of things that are counterfeit apostasy people believing and doing that which is right in their own eyes. Folks, there's only one source of truth. It's this precious book right here. God help us to be a Bible-believing, Bible-living church. Now, what, when we say church, what are we talking about, by the way? Oh, a property. Oh, how wonderful. The Lord moving us from where we were for many years in uh, this small auditorium to now, this wonderful, beautiful room, and, and what God has allowed us to experience as we've built over the years. No, it's not a property. It's not a building. Thank God for properties. And thank God for buildings. And we will do everything first class and professional as possible because he is worthy of our best. Amen. But the church is a body of believers. I encourage you to look around the room. It's better than looking at me because I'm a sight for sore eyes, all right? You look around the room. Maybe the person next to you ain't much better, all right? Uh, but just think of yourself. You might not be that good either. But anyway, you look around the room. The body of believers, it's us. It's us. My dear brother here on the front row, all the way to the husband and the wife, uh, sitting over here on this back row diagonally to across the room, left to right, uh, front to back. Those who may not have joined us tonight just because they weren't able to. Those by way of live stream that are trying to be here in spirit, amen, uh, because they can't physically assemble with us as the Bible exhorts and admonishes to understand that we are the church. We can literally be meeting in the open air somewhere, 
and have church to meet with God. We don't need a fancy auditorium. We don't need a nice building. We need assembly. And as a church, as we go forward to understand that as I believe we approach the return of Jesus Christ, you say, when is he coming back? I don't know. But I know that it's closer today than when it was yesterday. We'll see some scripture that proves that and teaches that in just a moment. But at the dawn of Christ's return, uh, during this season when the rapture of the church will come out, uh, there will be a time of of apostasy. Verse number 6, verse number 7, the first part of verse number 7, talks about a time of anarchy, wars and rumors of wars, nation rising up against nation. Anarchy. Anarchy. Does that sound familiar? What's been going on with the chaos, with the countries, the confusion over the past five, six, seven years, all this anarchy even within the shores of nations, what's going on in Lebanon with the U.S. uh, embassy, what's happened even within our own country with all the rioting and the pillaging and the looting, all the stuff that's been taking place around the world. There's also a time of ailments. Verse number 7, the second part, talks about this. Famines and pestilences and earthquakes and things. A time of ailments, a time of affliction. Verse number 9, verse number 10 talks about this. And, and of course, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, was preparing us that, that the church will always face a time of affliction uh, throughout the church age. I mean, Christians have been persecuted and martyred and slain for this precious book, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And in all reality, the Christian is the most, are you listening? The Christian is the most persecuted people group on the planet. Every six minutes, someone is being slain for this book. Somewhere around the world. We may not think it to be a time of persecution or affliction just because we're not necessarily experiencing it in America. But trust me, my brother, trust me, my sister, it's happening all across the world even right now. If I could just mention this, and please don't turn there. Let the words just wash over your soul. You could jot it down in the margin of your Bible or in your notes. I encourage people to take notes. Uh, Matthew chapter number 5, just listen. In Matthew chapter number 5, verse number 10 down to verse number 12, the Bible teaches us the Lord speaking at the tail end of the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Even though you may be persecuted, you're on the winning side. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they, the prophets, which were before you. Hey, don't think that you know, you're the first one or you're the only one. They've, they've been at this thing for a whole long time. But there's going to be an ever an intensity of the persecution and the affliction of God's people. And we know that certainly in the tribulation itself, uh, after the rapture of the church, that uh, those who don't take the mark of the beast, that they will be beheaded. And with everything that's been transpiring since COVID, it doesn't surprise me to read this in the Bible. The absolute lunacy of some rioting in the streets within our own shores, having a guillotine on hand, using it as a symbol. God have mercy. The absolute hatred that spews out of those who curse God and care less about the things of God. Most of us are not exposed to this. But trust me, there is 
a voraciousness. Like a rabid dog. Teeth barred. Drool and snot slinging. At the church. Which is a body of believers. Which is made up of individuals. Becoming a corporate group. A time of apathy, verse number 12. Wow. Iniquity abounds, the love of many waxeth cold, waxes cold, wax cold. Apathy. Now, of course, as we travel, we're not one to try to come into a church and try to get out some sort of pharisaical thermometer <laughs> and figure out where a church is located on the scale. That's, that's not my place. We just got our sleeves rolled up, our head down, just trying to preach what, what the Lord has impressed upon our heart to preach and to sing. Amen? You know your temperature. I don't. And you may try to put off vibes of victory. Put off waves of warmth, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm all that and I'm good and I'm on fire for God. But deep down inside, even though you're deceiving everyone from the pulpit to the pew, you know deep down in your heart where you're at spiritually. And I am concerned greatly that we are facing much apathy among those who call themselves Christians. Say, what do you mean by that? Well, let me go ahead and pull up some statistics here, and I wasn't going to mention this till later. 40 million Americans have stopped attending church in the past 25 years. You realize that's like 12% of our nation? This is a big deal. This represents the largest, largest Concentrated change in church attendance in American history. More people have left the church in the last 25 years in America than all the people who became Christians and were added to the church during the first Great Awakening, the second Great Awakening, and the Billy Sunday campaigns and crusades combined. We got a problem. And could it be that there are people in this room? I'm not trying to beat anybody over the head with the Bible. The Bible's not a bat. But in the hand of the Spirit of God, it may be a hammer. And I pray that you'll expose your heart and let him take that hardened heart, if you're guilty of having one, a heart of stone, and smash that thing on the altar of God. To a place of absolute brokenness over what's taking place in our country. And could it be that there are people in this room, you're a part of the problem. You're dead weight. You're slowing this church down. Now, having said that, we're not looking for anybody to leave. Jump on board. Get fired up. Listen, I like it when my body is 100%. When my knee or my finger or something in my body is not all there, I don't cut it off. Are you serious? No. I try to nurture that back to health. I pray that we would bear one another's burdens and that we would so then fulfill the law of Christ and help one another and that we would try to together seek the Lord but to understand that right now America is in a mess and could it be that we're approaching the return of Christ and I know that we're drawing closer than when we were and where we were even yesterday or last week and the Lord Jesus Christ is alluding to the fact that at the dawn of his return there will be a time of apostasy. There will be a time of anarchy. There will be a time 
of ailments and afflictions and apathy. The love of many waxed cold. 75% of Americans reported that they attended a religious service at least once a year. 30% of Americans say they generally attend a religious service once a month. Only 20% of Americans attend religious services every week. And evangelical Christianity thinks going to church once a week that you're faithful. Unfortunately, that's because a lot of churches just have one service a week. I'm pretty sure the statistic is much, much lower for those who attend church every time the door is open, less than 20% of Americans. Time of apathy. Notice in verse number 36 through 38, let's read that. The Bible says, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Verse number 37 of Matthew 24, now reading. But as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And they knew not until the flood came and uh, took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. It's a time of immorality. Wow. It's, I don't have the statistic, and forgive me for not having it. I like to be factual with everything that I say. But if I, as I'm just preaching from my heart and from the margin of my Bible here tonight, here's the deal. I do know this. It's been shown statistically that a, a, over 50% of married people would commit an affair if they knew they could absolutely get away with it. It's more like 60-some-odd percent of women and 70% plus of men. It's somewhere in that range. I, I'm pretty sure that's, that's what I saw in my notes. Haven't used that statistic in a long, long time. Over 50% of our marriages are ending in divorce in both the church and outside the church. People are shacking up, living together, and all the wickedness and the pornography and the filth. The pornography industry is making more money than all the major sports combined in this country. A time of immorality. Everywhere you look, everywhere you go. Skin nakedness. Things that an eye should not see. God help us as men and women, as young people, to make the conviction of what we find in the book of Psalm. I will set no wicked thing before mine eye. Why? Because the eye affecteth the heart. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you don't stop and we just quoted three different verses from three different texts, weaving them together to reveal how that the eye will ultimately lead to the committing of the sin. And that conviction is found, by the way, in Psalm 101, uh, verse number 3, if you're taking notes. I will set no wicked thing before mine eye. It's wicked to be immoral. It's wicked to be engaged in things that should not be done. Uh, may the Lord help us tonight to understand that at the dawn of Christ's return, it's a time of immorality. But by the way, yet through it all, God's still at work. God's still at work. I love tucked in the midst of this in verse number, uh, verse number 14. Notice verse number 14, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Uh, wh what is it? It's still a time for evangelism, amen. 
and at the dawn of Christ's return, and when the Lord comes back, and after the Lord Jesus Christ returns, and during the tribulation period, it's all a time for evangelism. It's all a time for reaching the lost. It's all a time for being a witness. It's all a time for being a worker out in the fields that are white. All the time for being a warrior fighting against the host of to save souls before it's too late. It's all the time for evangelism. Go ye and preach the gospel to every creature. These are some introductory thoughts tonight. Now as we get back to the center point of where the message is coming from in the text that we read from verse number 42 down to verse number 46, as we think about his coming return, there should be three things that should challenge us and constrain us. Number one, his coming return should give us a greater sobriety of eternity. His coming return should give us a greater sobriety, a sober-mindedness, a soberness of eternity. The word is used, notice in verse number 42, watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. This could be it, folks. We are, there's literally nothing standing in the way for the trumpet to sound. Nothing. If the father says, son, go, he's coming. And I wonder, I just wonder, did we even think about it today? Sober. Mindful. In the twinkling of an eye, we're gone. We're in eternity. Sit up straight, 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 sit up straight. Fold your hands. Fold your hands. Sit up straight. Sit up straight. Fold your hands. Sobriety of eternity. I find myself much throughout the day not having this mindset. I don't know if I'm the only one, but I find that in my life. And I say that to you, not brazenly or flippantly, but ashamedly. To get up and go about my day, not pondering, not focusing, not meditating, not contemplating, this could be it. The trumpet may sound at 1.30 in the afternoon, it's all real, folks. It's all real. Heaven is real. In the twinkling of an eye, boom, the trumpet sounds. We're gone. We're going to meet those who have been dead and gone before us. We're going to meet them in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. That means, ladies, you're in the middle of a chore. The chore falls apart around you. You're gone. Men, you're driving your truck, and you're going on your way to work, and your mind is so consumed with career and this and that and the other, and how can I work an angle so that way I can put more treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt? It's all going to be gone. The truck that you so love, the vehicle that you've saved nickel and dime for is going to careen off the road and crash somewhere. Kids, as you're in school, boom, it's over. All the kids say amen. But hey, hey, it's coming. It's coming, the sobriety of eternity. Heaven is real. There's going to be no more time. No no more second chances. No more opportunities. No more privileges. Is that how we view it, by the way? To live for Christ and appoint people to Jesus before it's too late. 
his coming return should give us a greater sobriety of eternity. I'm convicted by what we read, and you can journey with me if you can move over there fast enough. Mark 14, Mark 14, turn there, turn there, Mark 14, and this is all through Scripture, all through Scripture. We're just honing in on one text and just uh, expositorily looking through this text here, but this is all through the Word of God. These, these mindsets, these concepts, these character traits and qualities that we should have of what the return of Christ should give unto us. Every single one of us in this room, from the youngest in this room that's saved to the silverest of saints. Amen. A sobriety of eternity. It's for all of us. This is not just for a few hyperactive Christians in the church. This is not just for the pastor and his family or the staff and the school or whoever is getting on the payroll of the church. Hey, it's for all of us. It's for Sunday morning crowd Christianity. It's for Wednesday night Christianity. It's for all the days in between Christianity. It's for the church. Mark, chapter number, what did I say, 14? I gave you the wrong chapter. Mark, chapter number 13. I'm going to have to fix that in the margin of my Bible here. Mark 13. Well, at least you were there, right? It's just across the page or maybe a page back. Is everybody okay? Mark 13. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 32. Mark 13, verse number 32. But of that day and of that hour, excuse me, but of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed. What's that talking about? Hey, pay attention. You're drifting through the day, bumbling along life's way, merry-go-lucky. Stop. Sobriety. Sobriety. Eternity is coming. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. Uh, for the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants, and to every man his work. God has left you a job that needs to be done. Think about that phrase. We'll come back to that concept at the end of this message, as you're well aware. I have already read our text tonight. And commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he finds you, what? Sleeping, 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 sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch, watch. Sobriety of eternity, I pray that this thought grips us every single day when we get up in the morning that it governs our lives, that it guides our steps as we journey through each day because we don't know if this day is our last one. Number two, the coming return of Christ should give us a greater sense of urgency. A greater sobriety of eternity. But now as that consumes us and that fills us, it also brings us now and gives us a greater sense of urgency. Back to our text, the epicenter of this message in Matthew chapter number 24, verse number 44. The Bible says, therefore be ye also ready, ready. For in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh, hey, we're running out of time. Sense of urgency, the Bible says in Romans 13, 11, and that knowing the time, uh, it's talking about being aware, 
sobriety of eternity, realizing what's going on around us, aware of not having our head buried in the sand, just bumbling along life's way, and there's a lot of application for that, but ultimately, in the light of his return and that knowing the time, that now, 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 not tomorrow, not five years from now, now, not when it's comfortable, not when it's conducive, not when you can get around to it, when it fits your schedule, but now, now is high time to awake out of sleep. I find it fascinating how Mark, not 14, 13, amen, Mark 13 dovetails with what we're reading and what we're quoting from in Romans 13. And that knowing the time, a sobriety of eternity, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Why? For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. You wake up in the morning, you're going to be closer to the return of Jesus Christ than where you are and where we are right now as we sit here. Therefore, there should be an increasing sense of urgency that time's running out. I can't give back today what should have been done today. I can't hesitate any longer. I can't procrastinate any longer. Oh, God, help me to have a sense of urgency. Jesus taught us this, did he not, through his life in John 9, verse number 4. He said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. For the night cometh. He comes as a thief in the night. For the night cometh when no man can work. God give us a must again. Urgency. I must be a witness. I must stand for truth and be a warrior out in the midst of a dark day, uh, embracing what the Bible says in Philippians 2, verse number uh, 14, 15, that we are going to be in the midst of a crooked and a perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. I must. God, give us a must. Now, beyond all this, okay, just step back for a second. Pause. We all, we get to. Amen? We get to. But I'm concerned that with the mindset of get to, we become complacent. Must, must, must. I needs go through Samaria, he said. Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Uh, um, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. And again, we're not trying to beat anybody over the head, but these are just verses that God gives us in Scripture. Why? To increase that sense of urgency. Urgency. How urgent are you spiritually? I must raise my children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I must keep them pure. I must not let them get defiled. I must guard what's going in their ear gate, eye gate, mind gate, body gate, as well as mine. I must live for Jesus now while it's called today. I must be a witness as the Holy Spirit pricks me and leads me and directs me with those who I come in contact with throughout a community. I must! A greater sense of urgency. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. Sleep on now. That's what the devil says, doesn't it? Oh, no, no. Just don't yearn to be used of God. Yawn. Yawn. (sighs) Uh, Don't step forward. Step back. Take it easy. It's all right. You've been faithful for however many years the church has been here, 35 years, something like that. You've been faithful. All these years. Look over life and see all that God has done with you. Slow down. Take a break. That's what the devil says. 
You know, I'm concerned that you find a lot of sleeping churches and saints. But you'll never find a sleeping devil. (laughs) And while he's trying to get us to lose our urgency, you better believe he's got urgency. Because he's deceived that he's going to win. But he's got to rally the troops and cause the tidal wave of wickedness to sweep across the world so that way he can revolt against God and truly win the victory. And so he is going to shake the bushes as much as he can until he wins the victory. The devil is going to be in hell for a thousand years, ma'am. And those thousand years in hell will not even change his mind. Do you know that? It won't even change his mind. He's dead set intense and urgent. And as we stop and ponder tonight uh, these things about the return of Christ and how he's coming, it should give us a greater sobriety of eternity. It's real. Souls will be cast into hell. You don't witness. You don't win them. You're not used of God as he desires to use you. There will be blood on your hands. I don't care who you are tonight. I say this with love and respect, but listen, I don't care who you are. There will be blood on your hands. And you will be held accountable for how you lived your life. Whether you lived it for yourself or sin or society or Satan or for your Savior. Every man will stand and give an account before the Lord. It's going to happen. Maybe some of us need to do a hard stop and repent. Maybe some of us tonight need to get right with God real quick. Maybe some of us tonight need to rededicate ourselves to God and stop fooling around and playing games and messing around like you've been. Lord, help us a sense of urgency. I must work. But number three and lastly, he said, I must work. This this dovetails with verse number 46. Blessed is that servant. God's hand of favor will be upon the life of those who stay faithful to the finish. Blessed is that servant. Uh, He's not in it for himself. He's in it for others. He's in it for the Lord. Amen. Uh, Whom his Lord, when he cometh, he cometh, he's coming, shall find so doing, so doing, so doing. Number three, his coming return should give us a greater surrender of intensity. A greater surrender of intensity shall find so doing. Where in my life, I'm not reserving it for myself. I'm not giving time to God and then living however else I want to live my life for me. I have no right to live my size. I'll spit it out. I have no right to live my life unto myself. And you have no right to live your life unto yourself. We belong to God. Let's not strive with God. Word for God. A greater surrender. This handheld is not working. It's going in and out. We'll just use this. We'll, we'll land the plane here, all right? We find this all through Scripture. Journey with me to two texts. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, verse number 22. Hebrews 10, verse number 22. 
a reference that we've already mentioned tonight, verse number 25, Hebrews 10, verse number 22. His coming return should give us a greater surrender of intensity. Not living my life for myself, but living my life for the Lord, doing what God would have me to do, working for the night is coming. Hebrews 10, verse number 22, the Bible says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised, and let us consider one another to provoke, to encourage one another, is what it's saying, uh, to, to stimulate one another unto love and to good works. What's that talking about? It's talking about the right heart, but also the right hand. Love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling ourselves together. Hey, this is an army right here. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Oh, yes, praise God. He's coming again. Let's sing about it. Amen. We're not singing it just to wait. We're waiting around. I'm leaning against the shovel waiting for God to call me home. No. But rather, the disciples were slapped in the face as I just preached a message out of Acts 1 uh, on Sunday night that the Lord gave me Sunday morning in my devotions there at Gospel Night Baptist Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. How that, man, the two angels came after the disciples were just standing there looking up into heaven, just gazing, and they were just waiting for him to come back. What's going on right now? He, why stand ye here? Hey, get busy. This same Jesus, he's coming again. But until he comes... Work, be engaged, dig ditches and plow fields and save souls and reap a harvest and fight for Jesus and stand for truth. Doing, doing, doing. Are we engaged? Are we more surrendered today than where we were five years ago? With a mindset of intensity to see souls saved and God do a reviving, radical work in our community. Before the trumpet sounds. Why is it that Christians get saved and they start out red hot and then fizzle? It ought not be that way. It ought to be the fire that's generated that begins to burn. Should not be put out or doused by cold Christians, but should be ever increased as now... An ember, a coal of fire, a fresh flame is added to the mix, causing the fire to burn bigger, to burn bolder, to burn brighter for our God. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, challenging one another, encouraging one another, and so much the more. All of this, so much the more, as ye see what? The day approaching. The day's approaching. So much the more. Intensity. Intensity, surrendered. Are you surrendered to the Lord tonight? I'm asking adults in this room. This is not a youth meeting. This is a revival service. I'm asking 60-year-old adults in this room tonight out of respect and love. I'm talking to people my age. I'm talking to everybody in this room, to the oldest, to the youngest. Are you surrendered? Do you need to resurrender your life to the Lord? Do you need to rededicate yourself to God tonight? And tonight, on this Wednesday night service here, God may be tucking, tucking, tugging your heart. And God may be touching you. God may be seeking to pull you, draw you closer to himself. And tonight, yes, tonight, uh, you may need to say, God, I'm sorry. I know I need to be all in. I haven't been that way. 
I'm all in. I'm rolling up the sleeves again. I'm getting engaged. And help me to be surrendered with an intensity. Last text tonight, last text. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Verse number 51 to the end of the chapter. A familiar text, I presume. I must work. Jesus was surrendered with an intensity. He was faithful to the finish. Notice how we should finish. Notice how faithful we should be according to the Bible. Behold, verse number 51. I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. By the way, that's going to physically happen to you, and you're going to experience it. What's the sensation going to be like? What's the emotional thrill going to be like? What is the euphoric state of that? Like, it's going to happen. Amen? <laughs> the best is yet to come. God gave you an imagination. Think about it. Amen? So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put, shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying... That is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Knowing that this is to come, we can now, present tense, rejoice. Celebrate. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Not the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you are saved and know it? You know you're going to heaven. Praise God. There's not a shot of it out in your mind. Jesus has saved you. Hey, he's coming again. Therefore, verse number 58, therefore, because of these things, you're saved, you've got the victory, you're on the winning side, my return is coming, and you don't know when. The twinkling of an eye, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding, always abounding, in the work of the Lord. We're reading it right now, but you know, if you cracked your Bible open in the morning and read this text, it's still going to be there. And there needs to be a greater surrender. A greater surrender. Lord, I'm surrendered to this. 20 years from now, the Lord tarries is coming, and we're still here. It's still going to be there for you, dear brother, dear sister, for me, for you, all of us. To be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding. What's the word abounding mean? Not doing less and less, but seeking and craving and yearning and thirsting and hungering, being aggressive to do more and more and more, more, more. And what a blessing we have the promise for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's never empty or pointless or hollow or good for nothing or just busy work. But God is going to use it to make a profound impact. We conclude this message tonight as we think about a greater surrender of intensity. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He wrote this, a prince of preachers built a beautiful church that filled to capacity thousands of people, um, used of God in a great way, called the prince of preachers. He said this, churches are not made that men of ready speech may stand up on Sundays and talk. And so win daily bread from their admirers. These places of worship are not built that you may sit comfortably and hear something that shall make you pass away your Sundays with pleasure. 
And he's preaching to a crowded room in a beautiful auditorium. He said, a church which does not exist to do good in the slums and dens and kennels of the city is a church that has no reason to justify its longer existing. A church that does not exist to reclaim heathenism, reclaim heathenism, to fight with evil, to destroy error, to put down falsehood. A church that does not exist to hold up righteousness is a church that has no right to be. I believe what Brother Spurgeon is saying, and I agree with him 100%. The glory of the church is when she counts it to be her glory to gather together the outcasts and seek amid the foulest mire the priceless jewels for which Jesus shed his blood to rescue souls from hell and lead them to God to hope to heaven. This is her heavenly occupation. All that the church would always feel this. He also said, if sinners be damned, let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. If they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees. If hell is filled, may it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. Let no one go unwarned or unprayed for. But do you realize that 95% of Christians have never led a soul to Jesus Christ? Like, I seriously wonder what the, the statistic is in this room. We're not going to ask for a show of hands, but if we were, make it very uncomfortable, make it awkward. I think I'd have a ride on my hands first, preacher, before that anybody would own up to it. I'm not trying to put anybody in a guilt trip, but how real is this to us? Like, seriously, come on, how real is it? It's real to Jesus. I'm not trying to make anything uncomfortable. If you feel uncomfortable, it might be the Holy Spirit of God. Because I'll be honest before you, I stand here, I feel uncomfortable. Because I'm convicted. And I'm the one that's trying to put a word in front of the next and a sentence together and make it make sense while I stand here under conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. Have I done enough? Can I do more? Am I holding others back? What are we doing? His coming return. I was preaching with David Gibbs some years ago, and he said these statistics. Only 7% of Christians witness. Maybe that's why 95% have never led a soul to Jesus. 7%. Now take that 7% of the church and make it the new 100%. So now all the people who are seeking to witness, only 6% do it consistently. Now we're to a point where 47% of millennials, my age group, 25 to 40-year-olds, 47% of Christian millennials believe it's wrong to evangelize. That it's wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith or of no faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. God give us an ever-increasing urgency, sobriety of eternity, a sense of urgency, a surrender of intensity. Some of us just need to let go and see what God can do with a heart fully surrendered. Father, use these truths tonight. Our world is in a mess. 